Well, this morning we're continuing to, in this huh, in this most important subject as we are pursuing being led by the Holy Spirit and understanding of the love of God. I think by now when we, if we were to go back and read 1 John 4, verse 8 or verse 16 at the end. The verse says more than that, but I'm emphasizing just the last words, the last three words. If we today were to look at those words, God is love, do those words mean more to us? Do we have a greater comprehension of what it is in those words for us? Do we, do, we, do we understand the love of God better today than we have been? So we have been traveling down this road for an extended period of time. And what you find in this church, since Keith walked in, he reminded me of this. Anytime we start a series, this is the truth. Basically, our thoughts are generally, the series will be a particular number of weeks, perhaps. But then we get going into it, and each week the Lord enlarges what we're saying and adds to, and he adds understanding and revelation that we haven't considered in relation to the particular topic. And so this morning, I'll be speaking in church, and I ask Keith, this is the end of the series, because I'm thinking this is the end of the series. No, no, a couple more thoughts have popped in my mind, whatever. But what's happening? What is happening is God is teaching his people. The Holy Spirit is teaching. Peter Davidson isn't teaching. The Holy Spirit is using this man. He's using Keith. He's using Evan. He's using uh, Ronald. He's using covenant group leaders. He's using us as his instruments to teach. And so we have finally come to the mountaintop of what God's love is all about. And that mountaintop is what? The love of God is the means in our lives through which God reveals his personal glory. Correct? It is the means that God uses with other means, but it is the attribute of God which most clearly, I think, accentuates and demonstrates and proclaims the glory of our God. And so last week, you remember... <clears throat> We gave you these definitions. We learned that the glory of God is the comprehensive revelation of God's nature and his character. The glory of God is the gathering up everything there is about God. The gathering up of everything that God does into, if you would, a complete whole. Certainly we see aspects, 
The glory of God is this. The glory of God, I see it here. I see it there. But the glory of God is the compilation of all of this that we understand that God shows us about himself. And by the way, we have only seen, I don't say the least glimmer, but a glimmer of what the glory of God is. And I think even in heaven forever, we will be progressively seeing and experiencing and understanding the glory of God. Because you see, the glory of God is infinite. And only God himself can know comprehensively his own glory. But we will be able to be being given revelation and understanding of that glory as we go on from eon to eon and eon in eternity. The glory of God is a comprehensive revelation of the inestimable value and worth of God, of his splendor, of his honor, of his majesty, of his greatness, of his beauty, of his righteousness, of his justice. I mean, we can go on of his immutability, of his sovereignty. You can just go on and on and on and on. Remember we said that the glory of God is that state in which everything is according to or in keeping with God's eternal purpose, his plan, where everything is according to his pleasing. And so what we have seen here is this. We've learned that the glory of God, the very glory of our God, has now been revealed in a man who has been glorified to the throne of God. In a man. And so there is a man in the heavens in whom when we see him and when we experience him, we can see and experience the very glory of God. So God has placed his glory in this man. He is now revealing his glory in and through this man. And remember, this is the glory that Stephen saw in the face of Jesus in Acts 7, 55. You remember what 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says. Remember, I think we quoted that last week. For the God who said, let light shine, has what? Shown in our hearts, what? Does anybody remember it? For the God who said, let light shine, has shown in our hearts, what? Can somebody read it to me? Does anybody have a Bible? Second Corinthians 4, 7. For the God who said, let light shine. You remember where that's a quote from Genesis, I think. Let there be light. Has shown in our hearts. Somebody read it to me. Verse 7. I'm sorry. Six, six, sorry. Yeah, you're right. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He shines, he has shown in our hearts with the knowledge of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ, on the face of Christ. It's 4 6. 4 7 is then, he says, so we have this treasure. What treasure? 
the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 4.7 says, for we have this treasure, the glory of God, where? In earthen vessels, in ourselves, so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So the question this morning is this. Why has God exalted Jesus? Why has God done it? Well, where's the answer? I'm telling you, everything about God's purpose in our lives is in this verse. Genesis 1.26. That's Lauren Jacques, everybody. Everybody give Lauren Jacques a hand. That's Lauren. All right. I'm telling you, she's on the ball here. Genesis 1.26, God creates man, and what does he say? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. What is the purpose here? You see, the purpose of God in creating us is to declare his glory in his people. That's why God creates us. That's why God has done everything. And so this is the purpose of the incarnation. This is the purpose of the creation. We went through that last week, a whole list of things. None of these activities rests in and of themselves as to the ultimate purpose of God. Each one is a means of God getting to progressively revealing his glory, which is culminating in the risen Christ when Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. And so at that point, the glory of God is finally fulfilled in a man. But why is it fulfilled in Christ? Why does God send his son into the world to save us? Why does God crucify his son at the cross? Remember Acts chapter 2. Why does Jesus die? Why is Jesus buried? Why does Jesus rise? Why does Jesus ascend? Why is this man now exalted at the right hand of the Father? To achieve God's purpose for his people. So that in this man, the glory of God that is being manifested may now also be manifested in his people. If you look at our stationery, Keith had this revelation several years ago. Wow, how many years ago was that? 1997, 98 or whatever. And the Lord gave it to him. Do you know what our stationery says? Or our logo, if you would, says? Growing together for the glory of God. That's what it says. It's brilliant. Why? Not because Keith is brilliant. He'll tell you that. I think he'll tell you that. Because God is brilliant, and he's given it to us. And so, the purpose of the incarnation is that Jesus would be glorified. Why? Look at Romans eight seventeen. Why is Jesus glorified? So that we may also be glorified with him. And so, anyone ask you, why did Jesus come? To save me. That's true. Why did Jesus die? To forgive me of my sins. That's true. All of those are true. But you see, if the emphasis is placed there, we're missing the essential purpose of God. Remember, everything about us in relation to God and his work of saving us 
and ministering to us is for the purpose of him achieving his ultimate purpose in us, which is the revelation of his glory. And God accomplishes what? The manifestation of his glory in us. How does he do it? Remember Galatians 4, 6. He sends the spirit of his son into our hearts. And this spirit in 1 Peter 4, 14 is called the spirit of glory. So do we now begin to connect the dots? Jesus came so that the glory of God would be manifested in a man for the purpose of God being glorified in a people. That's where God is going. The Bible begins in Genesis 1-1, and the reason God creates is to come to this place, which we finally see culminating in Revelation 22. That's God's purpose in everything. Now, today, the spirit of glory. Remember what Romans 5-5 says. For the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 1 Peter 4.14, he is called the spirit of glory. He is the spirit who is the glory of God in us. He is the spirit who is the manifestation and the working out and the revelation of the very glory of God in us, which we now see in his risen son, in the risen son of God. So 2 Corinthians 3, the spirit of glory now is conforming us to the image of God's son. He is conforming us to the image of the glory of God in the glorified son. So 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror, what? The glory of the Lord Jesus and are being transformed into the image of from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And I put the Spirit of glory. And so did you see the word image in that verse? What does that word image remind you of? What verse? Genesis one twenty six. All of that is why God creates us and states in Genesis one twenty six, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Why? so that in this man, in these people, God's glory may be manifested as it is being manifested in this one man. And in order to be manifested in us, it had to be manifested in the humanity of the Lord Jesus, in the incarnation. And then it is shared with us, deposited in us, and is being worked out in us as the spirit of glory is conforming us to Christ. So that means this, that every command of the old, in the um, Bible, every command about how we should live, do this, do this, don't do that, go here, say that, remember, live this way, every encouragement, every correction, what is the purpose of all of this? What is the purpose of it? For the glory of God. Every purpose of it is for the glory of God. So this means that the glory that Stephen saw in the face of the Lord Jesus is now to be seen in us. I keep writing 2 Corinthians 4, 7. 
is four eight. I'm sorry, four six in your notes. Thank you, Beth, for calling that out. And this glory will be fully revealed when? When will the glory of God be fully revealed in us, or at least revealed in us to the fullness that God desires it to be revealed in us? When will that happen? I'm quoting from Philippians 3, 20 and 21. At the revelation of Christ, who returns, who will do what? Now look at these verses. Look at this verse. When Jesus returns, what will he do? He will transform the body of our humble estate. Look at your body now. We have great hope, Ronnie. Brother, you ought to shout over this one. You should shout and dance. Celeste, there's hope for Ronnie. I don't know about the hair part, but there's hope for you. Where at, Stephen? Come on in, brother. Come on and sit down. Good to see you. Josh, there's hope for you. Kenneth Belton, there's hope for you. There's hope for all you ladies who are trying to keep it looking good. For all you men who are trying to be who you used to be 25, 30 years ago. There's hope for us. Move on. Move on. You're right. That's the Holy Spirit, you see. See, come on, come on. Don't get bogged down, old man. But we, we, we forget this. You see, we just see our resurrection as just getting back something. But look what he says. At the return of Christ, what will God do? He will transform these bodies that we have now into conformity with the body of his or Christ's own glory. Think about it. This morning in the sermon, we're going to be talking about suffering. I'll be sharing some of the same things. It's feel like I'm doing this twice. It's not necessarily bad, but I felt like, yeah, is there another is something? No, okay. But think about it. One day, we are going to have a body that is going to be in the likeness or the similitude of the body of the Lord Jesus. You remember what that body looked like? You remember John's reaction in Revelation? Do you remember that? Remember in Revelation chapter 1, John is, come on up. He's taken up in the spirit. Do you remember that? You read the book? You saw the movie at least. And he sees a man. And he falls down as a dead man. And the man picks him up. And the man begins to speak to him. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who was and I'm alive again. It's Jesus in his glorified body. And when John sees this man, it takes his breath away. He can't almost breathe. He just collapses to the ground. He doesn't bow down. It doesn't say, Debbie, that he bowed down. What does he say? He fell down what? As a dead man, he was so overcome with the presence 
of the glory of God in this risen, ruling, reigning, and returning man. He was so overcome that he collapsed. You remember when he saw an angel, he bowed down. The angel in all their glory, John bowed down. The angel said, don't do that. I'm, you know, I'm a servant also. Get up. But when he saw this glorified man, what happened to John? John, do you remember who John is? John is the one who was called the beloved disciple. You remember that? And he was, if you would, one of the closest friends of Jesus. He was on the, in the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. So if anybody was familiar with Jesus, if anybody was buddy-buddy with good old Jesus, don't you know? Jesus, my friend, my buddy. Well, friend, yes, but we have to be careful here. And so this one who knew Jesus so well, if you would, so intimately in life as much as you could know a man, who had seen all the great works that Jesus had performed, heard all the words that he had spoken, wrote the Gospel of John, the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Who is this man? This man knows the Lord Jesus. But yet when he sees him glorified, when he sees him in the glory of God as the glorified man, displaying the glory of God, he falls to the ground as a dead man. He collapses. I think sometimes we think of Jesus too much like ourselves. I think one of the perhaps prayers that we need to be asking God is, show me Jesus glorified, glorified, so that when I think of him, when I address him, when I hear his words, it's as if my breath is taken away. I need to be, Peter Davidson, maybe you also, I need to be overcome more and more with who this man really is to me. I just get concerned sometimes that we too familiarize ourselves with God, with the Holy Spirit, with this risen man. John collapses. Now, during the time before Jesus' return, we are to be cooperating with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it is the Spirit of God who is day by day, issue by issue, thought by thought, word by word, deed by deed, every day conforming us bit by bit into the image of of him who stands or sits, depending on what is happening, at the right hand of God the Father, in whom the Father's glory is now being revealed. That's what is happening. Let's get it. Let's get this. 
This is not just a Sunday school class where we're teaching something. This is the most significant thing that is going on in our lives. Why do we share the gospel? So that God uses, he doesn't have to do it this way, but he chooses to use the message of the gospel of the glory of God, the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see that put a different way in 2 Corinthians 4.4, that the devil blinds the minds of them believing that they may not see the gospel of the glory of God, of Christ, who is the image of God. Let's recognize that what is God doing in my life? He's conforming us now to the image of this risen man. That's what he's doing. So why, why are you going through what you're going through? And we'll talk about it a little bit in the sermon today. Why are, you, why are you going through what you're going through? Why is God correcting you of your sin? Why is God doing anything of our lives? What is it? To be conforming us to the image of his son. That's from Romans 8, 29. We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of God's son. And so, how does this work? Our cooperation. How does it work? What, what, has, what is happening in us? Well, we read this in James 4.10. Humble yourselves. Isn't it interesting what we have been studying on Sunday morning and in here at the same time? Do you think there's any way that Keith and I could have coordinated any of this? Any of you think that could be done in the natural? It can't be done. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will what? Exalt you. Now, do you see what is in that verse? Humble yourselves now, because humility is the path to our being included in the exaltation of Jesus. You see, humble yourselves, what? That you may be what? What was that word? That you may be, said again, exalted. Exalted. Philippians 2.9, wherefore also God has, talking about Jesus, wherefore also God has what? Highly exalted him. Exalted means sitting in the very throne of God the Father with God the Father forever, displaying the Father's glory and what is going to happen to us as we, or how are we to be Included in that, it begins with humility, and it continues with humility. So humility is the only road, if you would, the only path to our exaltation. How do we know that? If we hadn't read that word, we know it from Philippians 2 again. Jesus, what? Humbled himself. How? He refused to grasp at anything for his own personal fleshly benefit. He emptied himself of that. And he took on the form of a human, a man. And he was disobedient to God, even what? To the cross, even unto death. Humility. He says, humble yourselves. 
So as we saw in Jesus, God's glory travels the path of humility. I think one of the most appropriate and continuing prayers, how many of us pray this way? God, make me more this way. Make me more that way. Make me more that way. Don't we pray that? Anybody ever pray that? God, give me more and more of this. Correct? Don't we do that? Right? God, help me to whatever. But what's underneath all of that? What is the soil in which all of the work of God is to grow in our lives? What is it? Humility. So I ask for a greater work of humility in me because the greater the humility then the greater the work of God will be seen and produced in me. I think probably the most, I could be wrong here, but I think probably the most significant prayer concerning our sanctification in the Spirit is humility. And the work of humility, or humility, the fruit of humility is always seen in what word? Obedience. Submission, obedience. How do I know if humility, if God is working in humility, working humility in me? I see greater levels of obedience, submission to God. What does humbling ourselves look like? Well, it looks like, what does is, what is Philippians 2, 7 say? Jesus humbled himself. Now, did you notice what it says? Jesus, this man, in the face of everything to the contrary as to his humanity, in the face of everything to the contrary as to his humanity, he made a, what word do I want? Decision. Moment by moment, he decided to humble himself. Why could he humble himself? Why could Jesus humble himself? Not because he was the son of God having taken on our humanity. But because, remember, because when the son of God took to himself our humanity, he divested himself of the use of his divine power. Do you remember that? Because this man had been given the Holy Spirit. Right? And because this man had the spirit of humility, Jesus was able to humble himself within the context of the humbleness, or rather the humility of the Holy Spirit in him, producing in him the humility that we see when Jesus says, I am humble in heart. Why is he humble in heart? Because he has the spirit of glory in him. Because he has the spirit of humility in him. Because he has the Holy Spirit who brings into this man and gives this man humility. The gift of humility. So we have the same gift of humility in us. And as a result of that, we can now decide to cooperate with and walk in this humility which God gives to us in the spirit. We're not talking about trying to do something that is alien to ourselves. 
we're talking about cooperating with that which God has given us in the Spirit. So can you do it? Is it difficult? Is it hard often? Does it work against us? Does our flesh hate it? Yeah, all of this is true, but none of that is significant. The only thing that's significant, David, is that I can and I should, and actually I must. I must decide moment by moment to humble myself, to embrace the humility of Jesus. who did nothing that would advance his own personal human agenda, but did everything that advanced God's divine agenda in him. Do you see that? He humbled himself, and he made a decision moment by moment every day to do nothing that would advance his own human agenda. But he decided to do that which advanced the divine, God's agenda, in and through his humanity. I want you, do you see this? As I say, we've got to see it. We have to see it. That's where the battle is, Isaac. That's where the battle is, Carrie. Our human condition wants its own. It's called pride. But we now have the Spirit of God in us. And moment by moment, this is the context and the crux of the battle that is going on in us. I talked to a particular couple the other day about some marital issues. And the wife was saying, how hard it is. I know something about how hard it is to deny your flesh. It's hellishly hard. Can you say amen? I'm going to use this word, but, and I don't mean it in a, a cursing way. It's damnably hard. Do you understand what I'm getting at theologically? It's nothing worse, nothing more difficult in life than to go against that which the flesh wants. Do you know any other thing that is more difficult for you. Do you? Where's the greatest struggle? In me, against me. That's a greatest struggle. You will not find a greater struggle ever anywhere else. Jesus is a man. And he has to battle the same context. But he, we rather, like he, has the spirit of humility. And he decided day by day, day by day, to do what? To not grasp at anything that would advance his own human fleshly agenda for his own personal me way. He refused it. Day by day, moment by moment. Do you think it was easy? Do you remember, where is the greatest battle of all eternity? Where, where is the cosmic battle? Gethsemane. Think about it. Think about it. Jesus is praying 
man in Luke, he fell to the ground. He's not just kneeling, putting his hands up and saying, Father, how are you? Uh, today, could you please? This man is being crushed. Blood sweating. Blood. He's probably breathing. His heart is... He's, he's racked in his soul. Against what? What is he battling against? What is he battling against, Jackie? Is that Lisa under there? Lisa, what is he battling against? Renee, what is Jesus battling against? He's battling against what his flesh humanity wants. Are you seeing it? Gail, that's what he's battling against. So don't let any of us ever say, including me, it's hard. We don't know what hard is. Father, oh, Father, if it's possible. And you fill in the blanks for yourself. And then what does he say, Stephen? Nevertheless. Not my will, but thine will be done. Not my will, my fleshly, personal benefit be done. But, Father, your benefit be accomplished in me. Any of you going through hard times? Anybody? I know some of you. I can start naming you if you don't raise your hands. I can start naming you if you raise your hands. You, know, you want me to come around and start naming all of y'all who are going through hard times that I know about? Any hands going up now? Yeah. Compared to this man, is it hard? No. It is hard for us, and we don't deny that. We don't make fun of it, or we don't make light of it. But we have to see it in relation to this man who now lives in us. This man who humbled himself unto death, even the death on the cross. Resulting in what? Wherefore also God has highly exalted him. Right? And has given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in things in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. You see, that's what our life is all about. It's about that. So I'll close with this and you can look at the rest of the notes. What does humility in Jesus look like? It looks like what Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 through 2, 1 and 2. He says what? Therefore, considering or in view of all the mercies of God, what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then he goes on to say, don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. Into whose image? into the image of the glorified Son of God. So next week we'll continue. <clears throat> I don't know what we're going to be talking about next week. I rarely know from week to week, so we'll find out. Oh, by the way, be praying for the sermon this morning. You know, this is, I, I, I do a lot of struggling in these things because I have to struggle against me. The problem is me, not with God. So do be praying for God's.
word. Yeah, you can pray now. Go ahead. Yeah, one of the men. Pray. Pastor Peter, to, to teach us, Father, this word that you have written down for us. So, Father, empower him by your spirit, Lord, this morning to bring this word, Lord, that would pierce our heart, Lord yes. Jesus, that we'd have a better knowledge and understanding of you. Yes. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.